Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Lynn Stevens. She's an HR leader and a coach. So Lynn, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too, because we work together with coaching, which you helped me out. But now I get to ask some questions. So it's my turn to ask. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> sounds like you've got yourself all prepared for this meeting. A little bit. I mean, I was curious about a few things. You have a, a very deep HR background. Mm-hmm. How did you get into HR? Was it just something you popped into or was that always <laughs> the plan? It wasn't always the plan. It's a great question. I graduated from university with a BA without really much of a plan about what to do. And it was actually my mom at the time who was working for what was known at that point in time as Bell Northern Research, BNR, which of course then became Nortel. And she was working in HR. So she would come home and she would tell me about some of the things that she did during the day. And I thought, oh, that actually sounds really intriguing. And so after I graduated from university, I ended up going to college and taking an HR certificate. And then I went to work for an organization called Corel Corporation, which was a very well-known software company in Canada back in the early 90s and was able to make my way into the HR department. And the rest is history. Yeah. So, I mean, what were your early lessons in the the (laughs) frontline trenches of the HR department? That's uh, an interesting question. So... I would say the biggest lesson was just learning to be very flexible. And in particular, working for Corel Corporation, which was just a constantly evolving, very, very fast-paced organization, that if you got too attached to something, it was your downfall, that you would end up getting very frustrated. You'd end up, in many cases, just being left behind because the organization was moving and changing so quickly. So flexibility was a huge key. And for me, because I spent my entire career working in the private sector or for publicly traded companies in the private sector, seeing things in a world of gray was very important. And that there's never, it's this way, or it's this way, or it's this person's story, or this person's story. It's usually somewhere in the middle. And so being able to operate and be very, very comfortable in in the world of gray is a really important thing to do, particularly, as I said, in the private sector in HR. It's a little more black and white when you're in a unionized setting, but I was, I've never worked in a unionized setting. So just understanding the gray zone is really important. Mm, Interesting. Now you talked about not getting attached to stuff in a fast moving environment. Give me some examples in a general sense. What are we talking about? Oh boy. Organization in particular, a lot of it would be just getting attached to programs. You might come up with a program and then the decision is, no, actually, we're going to go this way or we're going to go that way. And just being able to be fluid and move with that. If you develop something that doesn't end up getting implemented, if you get really attached to that thing, then you'll just end up feeling frustrated and, and potentially resentful. And so it's just more, okay, the organization needs this now. And, and now we're going to go this direction. So we need this now. So that's what I mean by not getting attached. I think, again, if you get attached to something and it doesn't go move the way you expect it to, that's when frustration starts to creep in. Mm. I mean, especially with the fast growing companies or with industries that are 
fast moving. I guess yes. change is inevitable. How do you manage that? Like as an HR person or as a leader in an organization, how do you kind of develop that culture or mindset within the company to make that a healthy thing? I think it's more widely accepted now than it was that change is inevitable. I mean, it always has been. I think a lot of it comes down to the people that you bring into the organization who like that environment, who are very comfortable with change and comfortable with things evolving. For those who aren't quite as comfortable, it really comes down to a lot of communication and understanding and helping people see why this will actually benefit them in the long run, why it will benefit the organization, and just communicate, 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 and help bring them along in any form of change. There are going to be the early adopters, the people who see the value of it, the bright spots, if you will, and then there are going to be the laggards. And it's really just helping those laggards come along and see the value in what it is you're trying to do and why you're changing. Mm. Now, how do you identify those people that would thrive <laughs> in a change culture? Like, can you pick those out in interviews and just by interacting with people? I think through the conversations that you have, you can ask questions that help see how they've operated in or what kind of organizations they've operated in, what kind of cultures they've operated in. So if you get someone who has who's answering questions saying, oh, it's been like that for 15 years. Oh, you know, the organization, they'll, they'll use terms like it's it's slow boat to turn or, or things like that. Then you start to realize, oh, maybe they're used to things being a certain way versus those who would say, oh, yeah, we did the following. We changed this. We looked at this. We moved this way. We went pivoted and went that way. Usually through the questions and the conversations, you can tend to pick up on the people who are just more interested in organizations that don't stand still. Ottawa, where I live, is an interesting city because we're a combination of high tech for a lot of the hiring and then government. And government tends to be much slower moving. And, and often there's not a good transfer of skills of people moving from private sector to government and vice versa. So which makes it a bit of a challenge in Ottawa, at least it did before the world became completely virtual, to find people who could operate in a rapidly changing environment because there is so much government in the city that doesn't tend to move quite so rapidly. Mm -hmm. And does it make sense to have a company filled with people that are constantly open to change? Or do you need a balance for people that kind of stabilize things or structure things? Like, how do you think that through from a HR sort of people mix? That's a great question. And I think you can have both. It doesn't necessarily have to be an either or. It can be both and. So you can have people who create stability inside the organization and who still like change. They may not be the drivers of it. They may not be in the forefront of it, but they are still supporting it and keeping the boat stable, if you will. So yeah, I really see that as a both and as opposed to an either or. Yeah, very nice. So as you moved up the ranks from like the front line of HR to more of a leadership position, what, what changed? What sort of things did you learn? Well, one of the key things that I learned in human resources was really actually to understand the business that I operated better. And I believe that's often the downfall of a lot of HR people is they stay very entrenched in HR and they develop programs and policies and processes without really understanding the business that they operate in. And I strongly believe as an HR business partner, 
you need to approach it from a business mindset before an HR mindset. And as soon as I realized that and saw that and put that into operational mode, things really opened up for me. And I just understanding the business more effectively just made me a better leader, particularly as I moved up through the ranks. So sitting at an executive team meeting, I think it's critical that everybody around the table understands the finances, they understand the organization and what the organization is trying to do. They understand how they go to market. They understand the competitors, the landscape, all those elements. And as an HR person, that just helps me design programs that suit the organization better. Mm. What sort of programs did you design when you think of HR? Like, what, what sort of things is top of mind for you? I have always been a huge proponent of lifelong learning. It's just been something that I have always enjoyed. And so one of the key things, one of the things I'd say I'm most proud of in the organizations that I was a part of was developing and rolling out leadership development programs. So I did that with a couple of different companies and brought along leaders and helped them develop their their skills inside the organization. Because I think that's really critical is to have leaders who are constantly learning and evolving and developing themselves. So I would say that was one key thing that I really focused on as an HR leader was to bring along other leaders inside the organization. What were those programs look like? Can you give me an example of one of the programs that you ran? Sure. So the programs were designed to really cover all different aspects of what I believe a leader needs to have in terms of a skill set. So we would cover things like just basically strengths and and capabilities of leaders and leadership derailers. So the things that could potentially derail you as a leader. We trained all of our leaders in presentation skills, because I think that's a critical skill that a lot of leaders need to have. And then we got all the individuals who are part of the uh, leadership development programs to start presenting. So putting those skills into action right away. One of the things that I thought was wonderful was we actually tasked one of the groups of leaders to design a program that focused on the why of the organization that we were a part of. And that was Thermo Fisher Scientific, which is a world leader in serving science, huge, huge organization based in the United States. And the team just hit it out of the ballpark. They actually created a video where they recorded our employees across Canada and really drove home the message of why this organization did what it did and how it connected the people inside the organization to the mission of the company. And that was just phenomenal. And I think the group just, when we broadcasted all across the Canadian population and everybody was absolutely blown away. So really just taking the leaders and pushing them and and helping them see beyond where they may perceive their limitations to be and recognizing those are self-made limitations that they can go further. And some of the programs we did just really help them help them do that and see that. Yeah, for sure. Now, you since went from a leadership position in HR into coaching. Mm-hmm. What initiated that sort of change for you? It was something that was already on my mind, making the change out of the corporate world and working on my own, becoming a, an entrepreneur and executive on my own. And uh, I was part of an organization, actually, I'm still a part of this organization that's called Tech Canada. It stands for the Executive Committee. And I was a member of a tech group. And we had a speaker come in to the group whose name is Kim Addis. And she is the president and founder of the company I do coaching with called Frame of Mind Coaching. And that's the where we met, you and I. 
And Kim came in to present to my tech group. And immediately I fell in love with her style of coaching, her methodology, how she approached coaching. So much so that in fact, at the first break, so probably about an hour and a half into her presentation, I walked up to her and I said, I want to do exactly what you do. And the rest just moved from there. So her process is for anyone who wants to coach for hers, they must be coached first. So I went through a a six-month coaching program and then I went through her certification process to become a certified coach. And I just really, as I said, fell in love with her model of coaching. Coaching was something that I had always thought I would want to do. And I felt like a lot of coaching programs were, I'll call them sort of glorified accountability models where they would work with their, their coachee and they would help them establish goals that they wanted and then hold them accountable to reach those goals. And as an HR executive, I hired a lot of coaches to work for executives inside the companies that I worked for. And I never really felt that the needle got moved, that they may have accomplished a few things, but they stayed, I'll say, stuck for lack of a better word. And I felt that Kim's model with Frame of Mind Coaching actually really addressed that because it got beneath the what are you doing and got to the the crux of it is how are you thinking and started to shift the thinking of the people, which thereby shifted how they approach their work. So kind of getting underneath of that. And it was the first time I heard a model like that, that really addressed the thinking rather than the doing. Yeah, maybe just at a very high level, explain the model and just search for people that don't haven't heard about it. Sure, absolutely. So as I said, a lot of models, coaching models, stay at the surface in terms of the behaviors and the actions of people. And what frame of mind does is go beneath the behaviors and actions and recognize that it's actually the thoughts you're thinking that form your beliefs. And those beliefs drive your behaviors and your actions and and get the results that you get. So instead of staying on that surface level, it's really going beneath of that, challenging how people think, really challenging the beliefs that they have, because we form our beliefs really early on, oftentimes in our family of origin. And many times we don't question those beliefs. And what often results in frustration is us bumping up against those beliefs because the world isn't operating the way we think it should. And what we need to start to do is shift how we see the world, shift how we what we believe, and that helps release those frustrations and help us change our behaviors and our actions. And, and so it's really kind of getting underneath of that surface and shifting those things around and changing the outcomes from there instead of just staying on that surface level. Yeah, for sure. Now, what is a belief that you have changed your mind on through this process? <laughs> I would say the belief of what I can control. <laughs> One of the things that I started to realize that I think I was in denial, and call it a, a blind window for me, was actually how much control I tried to have control over the people in my environment, control over the people in my organization, and not control as in you must do what I say, but more just where I would bump up against it would be would be frustration in that, well, why aren't they doing these things? Don't they see this is the way it should be done? Why aren't they operating like good corporate citizens? And really challenging that belief to say, well, just because I would do it this way doesn't actually mean that's the way that it should be done. And starting to release that control and recognizing actually the only thing I have control over is me. That is the only thing I have control over. I can't control anybody else. I can't control how things unroll from a business perspective or an environment. We can't control what's going on in the world today. And 
recognizing that actually brings a lot of inner peace because realizing what you actually can control stops that endless frustration of bumping up against things wishing they were different when they're not and then realizing I I can't actually change that so I would say that was a huge one for me and it's still a process I mean as as you probably know going through it there's an, an analogy that Kim Addis uses that I really love which is if you decide that you want to get a six pack of abs and you go to the gym and you work out and you work out and you work out and you get that six pack. If you walk away from the gym and never go back, what happens to your six pack of abs? It's going to disappear. So it's really a life's work to keep going. So once you go through the program, it's that constant working on yourself because I hate to use the Shrek analogy, but we are like onions and there's lots of layers. And so once we peel the first one, there are multiple layers underneath that we just continue to peel to get down to our, our true self. And when we're at that true self, that's really where I think inner peace comes from, which yeah. just allows us to live our lives with greater ease. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that. Now, you mentioned earlier, and I go back that in HR, you have to live in yeah. the gray and, and sort of really <laughs> sort of to be able to sort of do it well or to thrive. Can you give me more examples on what living in the gray means in the HR world? For sure. You're dealing with people, of course. And so people always have different interpretations about what has happened and what they believe should happen or should be an outcome as a result of something happened. And if you get very attached to a particular outcome, which is when this happens, this happens, it becomes very difficult to operate like that because no two circumstances are the same. No two people are the same. No two things leading up to an event are the same. So if you try to apply the same peanut butter spread approach to it, ultimately things aren't going to work out because they're never as black and white as that. You can't apply the same rules in every circumstance because what's brought you to this point is likely not the same thing. Even though it might look the same, it probably isn't. And the people you're dealing with don't think the same way as the last people you dealt with. So really kind of operating in that gray and recognizing you can't just always apply the same rule to every person because the circumstance is different. That doesn't mean that you have complete mayhem and that everything is just open for wide open for interpretation. You have to have structure around it, but flexibility in that structure, if that makes sense. Yeah. Give me an example. Like I'm just visualizing you have policies and then yep. you have, it depends. Is that uh, rules out? Yeah, to a degree. So you may have a policy about attendance, but then you have to recognize that there could be a circumstance where a person needs a little bit of flexibility on that policy for a period of time because of a situation they're dealing with at home. For instance, let's say a, a newly single parent may need a little bit of flexibility. They can't come into the office and work the hours they used to be able to work or can't work the same hours as their coworker who isn't going through that same circumstance. So the policy may be written a particular way, but there has to be flex in the policy to recognize not every circumstance is exactly the same. And so you've got to be able to appreciate the dynamics of the people who you're dealing with and be able to shift when it makes sense to do so. I mean, if somebody comes and says, well, I want to work fewer hours because I just don't like to get out of bed. Okay, that's a different circumstance. (laughs) But maybe they don't like to get out of bed because they have sleep apnea. Oh, okay. Well then that's different, right? So again, like there's always a reason behind it. So you've got to exercise some level of flexibility again with keeping a structure in place. Now that structure today, as I mentioned with the virtual world, may be shifting where people 
can start working where, oh yeah, I like to sleep in. I don't want to get up till 10. Well, maybe I'm going to work for a company that's based in the West Coast. And so I'm on the East Coast where I don't actually have to start working until 11 o'clock in the morning. And that suits me just fine. So the world is shifting and changing, but I hope that sort of helps explain that idea. And I think I love the word you used when we were coaching is the guidepost. So you create the guidepost, recognizing that sometimes you need to shift the guidepost depending on what's actually happening for the person or for the organization. Yeah. And I get the sense it's just a constant reevaluation. Are you applying the rules in a somewhat fair and consistent way while being right. empathetic to people's situations? Yes. So it feels like it's a constant struggle to be that right, I don't know, lack of better word, balance between those, you know, being too lenient and being not lenient enough or too rigid. So is that kind of how it goes? It is. It is. And one thing to realize is most people aren't pushing those boundaries. They're generally not. It's often just an extraneous circumstance that comes into play that a person needs those boundaries to be pushed. Most people are coming in and, and operating in the environment that you've created and aren't sort of pushing those guideposts as we talked about. Yeah, for sure. Now, switching gears to sure. outside the coaching and the business world. Do you have hobbies? What do you do to get away from it? I, I love being outside. I get a ton of energy from being outside, especially at this time of year. The winter, I'm still outside, not loving it quite so much in eastern Canada. <laughs> it can get a little chilly. Uh, a couple of years ago, I bought or I got an Australian Shepherd. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that breed of dog, but they need a lot of exercise. So she gets me up every single morning. Doesn't matter what the weather is. In fact, in her world, the colder, the better. And take her for a big, long walk. And just, I get outside in nature. I love that. My husband also loves to be outside. So we do hiking. We cycle. We just spend as much time as we can outside. In the summer, we love to swim. In the winter, we'll snowshoe. We'll do whatever we can just to, to keep ourselves outdoors. And yeah, that's a big one. Another one that I dabble in and, and actually want to pick back up and start playing with a little more is photography. So I took a bunch of photography courses a couple of years ago and then life got a bit busy. I put the camera down, but lately I've been, I've been hearing the call to pick the camera back up. So I'm going to get back into that again too. Wonderful. Now, is there any trends or things i mean you talked about remote that you're following very closely right now that because there seems to be a lot of change going on in the marketplace there is the latest headlines that you've probably seen as every employer has seen is the the great resignation as they're calling it and they're saying is it going to be the are you going to go with the great attraction or the great loss of your employees so how are employers dealing with that it's a big thing that a lot of people are saying I don't want to go back to the way that it was. And they aren't necessarily interested in the corporate world, so to speak, and sitting behind a desk that after 18 months of having a little more flexibility, that's a huge thing that I think employers really, really need to pay attention to. And most of the good ones are. They're really exploring how do we accommodate people who aren't necessarily living where they were when we originally hired them. They've gone back home. They've gone moved other places to be outside of a, a metropolitan area. And they're great employees and we want to keep them. So how do we start to then inflex what we believe to be true as employers in order to keep our, our good employees and to attract other good employees who are also feeling the same way? 
So that's a huge thing that I think is happening in the world right now for employers to pay attention to is that that great resignation. And where are people going and why? Yeah, no, that's a very, very good question. Now, is there something that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to cover or, or talk about? Can I ask you a question? Is that fair? Sure, game? absolutely. <laughs> so we finished our coaching engagement with each other probably about a month ago, I think, maybe maybe six weeks ago. So I would love to know from you now that you've been out of the gym, we'll call it using going back to that analogy for six weeks. How have you kept yourself sharp with the things that we've talked about through our coaching process? Because you picked up a lot and really, really seemed to resonate well with the themes and the principles that we talked about with the frame of mind coaching. So how's it been for you for the last six months since we haven't been chatting? Sure. Six weeks, sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's been great. I think I always like learning new things. And I think the way that you grow is by trying to understand yourself better and the thoughts that you have and how you approach certain things. So I think you're getting to the root of how you view certain things and really start to explore Mm -hmm. your thinking and try to really understand where some of these thoughts come from, if they're true. I think it's a great process. I think I try to apply it every single day. If I have positive thoughts or if I have negative thoughts, I try to figure out what the root of it is. And if there is anything there or is it just uh, reacting on something that is not relevant or stuff like that. So I think you're right in saying that we only have controls ourselves, mainly to do with how we think about things. Once we Mm -hmm. think about this and take action, doesn't mean that we can necessarily get a result just because we're acting. So I think it starts with mindset. So I've really taken a a closer look and kind of reflect on that every day. So to your question, yeah, it's, it's been fun. And I think it's kind of a daily process, like going to the gym every day. I think if you leave it for a while, then we can drift back to certain thought processes and stuff like that, that you had in the past. So it's just constantly examining how you see things to make sure that you're aligned the best you can. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, those old habits are hard to break, right? You think about those pathways in our brain, they are very, very well worn. And this whole process forces you to start to build new pathways. And it is easy to slip back. But yeah, it's that daily process to remind yourself, no, this is the way we're going to think about these things now and and dropping that. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Great. Well, thank you so much. Then it's fun asking you questions for change. That's great. Yeah, it's kind of fun being on the receiving end of questions. It's been a while, especially in HR, because I'm usually the one asking the questions when I'm recruiting people. I'm not often the one getting questions asked of me. So this has been fun. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes, entrepreneurial tips, and more. See you over there.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.